0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. I don't imagine it'll shock you to know that a pro sports league run by old white guys doesn't have the firmest grasp on how to tackle progressive issues. Arizona Coyotes defenseman Travis Dermott's stick, those subtle bands of pride tape on the handle, defying a controversial NHL ban that has now been reversed. Early this season, the National Hockey League, after first prohibiting its players from expressing any show of support on the ice for LGBTQ inclusion, reversed that decision. They did it because, as you just heard, a player simply called their bluff. Now, pride jerseys, pride tape, and the NHL's clumsy handling of this issue and many others can offer a glimpse of a league struggling with change and progress. The question is, is that a bad thing for the game? Or is it a sign that the change and progress are coming anyway, but from the bottom up instead of the top down? The fight for the future of hockey culture is not happening in the boardrooms of the NHL's executive offices. It's happening in dressing rooms and on benches at the midget, minor, major, junior levels, as the kids who will one day make up the NHL create a new kind of culture. That doesn't mean it's easy or quick, but it does mean the future is a lot brighter than you might think from a look at the headlines. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Brock McGillis is a former OHL and professional hockey player. He is the first openly gay men's professional hockey player. He's an activist in the LGBTQ space. And he speaks with those minor, those midget, those major junior teams. In fact, right now, he's embarking on the Culture Shift Tour, speaking to 100 minor hockey teams in 100 days. Hey, Brock, that was a long intro. You're up to a lot these days.
1: Yeah, it's a big spiel. I'm glad you had to say it, not me.
0: Well, let's start just for people who don't uh, follow this stuff in hockey on a day-to-day basis. One of the reasons uh, we've wanted to talk to you for a while uh, was because of a little bit of a debacle at the beginning of the year, at the uh, upper levels of professional hockey before we get to the grassroots stuff. So why don't you tell us the... Saga of Pride Tape in the NHL. And for those who don't know it at all, like, what is Pride Tape? Where did it come from? What's it for?
1: Wait, what happened with Pride Tape? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, So uh, Pride Tape was an initiative to just show visibility for players to show support for the LGBTQ plus community without having to... Go on social media or show from the rooftops about inclusion. Mm-hmm. And it's a, an easy, simple way for them to say, I'm supportive and inclusive. And it's kind of made, I think, Curtis Gabriel kind of made it famous. Explain how. Well, Curtis was an NHL player who was up and down and, and was a younger player. And most players would use it in warmups. And I think Jonathan Huberto used it in the game and Curtis started using it in every game. And then he ended up scoring a goal with Pride Tape in a nationally televised game in Montreal. Hmm. And instantly became, you know, a bit of a a hero to the queer community and sort of put on a a pedestal of sorts for being inclusive and supportive and and not just doing it during a warm-up when nobody's really there or sees it.
0: And from there, it kind of became, as you mentioned, popular among lots of players as a way to show support until... Um, explain the beginning of this season. And I mean, maybe just quickly for context, like what happened last year with pride nights, this is why we wanted to, to have this conversation because I think a lot of people, uh, it, it might feel like we're going backwards a bit.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, last year it's, it sort of started with a few players choosing not to wear pride jerseys in games and They received a lot of criticism for it. And whether it's because they're from Russia and and felt unsafe wearing it or because of religious beliefs, to me, I am a big believer in freedom of choice. I think those players had the right not to wear them. And that's okay. And frankly, I had NHL teams call me and say they were concerned about the safety of some of their Russian players and what do they do? Hmm. And I said, well, it's just a jersey. <laughs> you know, like like in at the end of the day, their their well-being and the well-being of their families matters way more than wearing rainbows. Yeah. In my opinion, I haven't seen a rainbow eradicate homophobia or transphobia. So the only thing I wish in terms of like the players doing it because of faith is that whether it's the PA or the league or a combination of both or or agencies or whoever give them the tools to make informed decisions and recognize impact of their decisions. Hmm. And I think that would have gone a long way with some of them, because I think they're good people that just don't know any better. So when that happened, it, it created an uproar and there was a lot of pushback and disappointment. And listen, rightfully so, I think I've worked with a few teams, but very few do anything to humanize and educate their players videos have come out of homophobic slurs in the stands and nothing happening, different things like that. So for queer folks to feel safe at sporting events or to play sports, we need to do more. Um, And when all you do is performative things and then that gets ripped away, what are you left with
0: how did the NHL respond after those controversies um, heading into this season? There was a lot of criticism uh, for players who decided not to for whatever reason, and Pride Nights have become a part of hockey. How did the NHL handle it?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, they they chose to ban Pride Tape initially, and I think their logic was that if some players chose not to use it, then all of a sudden they would be alienated and media would cover that. And I don't think they would. They haven't to this point when it came to tape. I mean, some players didn't use tape and frankly, who cares? But what what got me with it was you last year, due to freedom of choice, allowed players not to wear jerseys. And now uh, the reverse of that, you're not allowing players to use tape to support a community and, and that infringes on their freedom of choice. Players want to use it or don't use it. I don't want faux inclusion and I don't think we should want full inclusion. I'd rather people like Travis Dermott, you know, use it when, because they they truly feel that it's the right thing to do and they want to show support for community and they want uh, hockey to be a welcoming space for everybody. And then after, you know, a lot of backlash, they decided to reverse course and, and bring Pride Tape back, which I think was, the right decision. And I'm actually happy that, you know, ego didn't get in the way and they didn't, you know, dig their heels in the sand and decide, no, this is what we're doing. They thought about it. They recognized that it was probably not the right course of action and reversed it. I'm glad we dove
0: into that because you've been at this for a while now. I mean, we first spoke about this several years ago. Can you maybe... Give us a little bit of the big picture right now on what this kind of flip-flopping back and forth illustrates about how hockey struggles with this stuff and tries and doesn't get it right and sometimes like it's it's kind of fumbling around. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, there's definitely some (laughs) fumbling of things, but I think that's societal right now. I think that transcends hockey. Hmm. You know, we're seeing protests of outing trans and queer kids in schools. And it's like, well, okay, I'm all for parents knowing and I'm all for them being part of the solution and and helping them provide the necessary support needed. However, up to 40% of homeless youth in Canada are LGBTQ+. Mm-hmm. And that's disproportionate to the amount of queer people in you know, I, I think Gen Z is identifying at twenty two percent. So part of the issue is kids are getting kicked out of their homes. One parents are told. You know, and and I think as a society we've seen some things go backwards. I mean, we can look to our neighbors to the south and see "Don't Say Gay" and yeah. see all these different you know anti trans bills and and protests of drag queens, and we're seeing them here too, just in a, a you know a, a lesser extent. But yeah, sport is going to follow suit, which is a shame because I I think sport has the opportunity and we've seen it throughout history to shift culture, to evolve it and to be part of the solution. And if you see your favorite player using tape and being supportive of queer people, you might reconsider your stance or you might critically think as to why I feel this way um, because your hero doesn't. Looking at all that and saying, well okay, maybe, maybe we could use sport to evolve it, to shift it, to make it a better place for everybody. That's my goal for the league. And guess what? When you have a bunch of straight folks making decisions, yeah, we're going to fumble. It's inevitable. You know, like they're not a part of that community. They don't know. Or if you bring some queer people in that haven't lived in the hockey space, they might not know either. And, 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 There's uh, a nuance and and a complexity to this because hockey has such a a distinct culture.
0: Is that culture changing now uh, over, I don't know, the past five years, maybe more? I mean, it is worth noting, uh, as we talked about the Pride Tape saga, that it was because of one player who decided to just use it anyway. And there were a number of other players, some of them high profile, who really spoke out against that and, and said it was a dumb decision to ban it and, you know, hockey is for everyone. I'm, I'm curious if you feel that progress uh, is being made at all.
1: I think there is. I think we are seeing players step forward. And, and rarely have we ever in my, you know, I, I don't want to age myself here, but in all my years watching hockey, have I seen many players be critical of the league on a decision. The fact that they're speaking up was huge. The fact that somebody went a step further and went against what they said and a rule they implemented was wild. And then at younger ages, I think we are as well. I mean, kids today are, they have queer kids in their classes. They're exposed to it on television, through social media. I think it's a little more normalized. However, I think the language and behaviors haven't evolved as quickly as the thoughts. Hmm. There has been a big push from some right-wing media pundits, especially in America, and a couple here, that have been targeted towards teenage boys in particular. Hmm. And a lot of that is anti-LGBT rhetoric. So that concerns me that that younger generation that's in older ages of minor hockey through and junior are being inundated with anti-LGBTQ plus messaging. So it's a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know you're not in the locker rooms with these kids when when no one else is, but can you compare the stuff that, that you heard when you were playing to uh, what kids might hear in a locker room today? And I think it's positive that there is a better representation and it's more normalized, but... Like, what does that stuff mean once
1: the dressing room doors close and it's just a bunch of teenagers hanging out? I think that the language in the space is a little bit better. I've had players come to me and tell me stories of all of a sudden somebody says something homophobic and another player goes, do you really hate gay people? Huh. And they're like, no. And then they'd be like, well, why are we saying that? Okay. And to me, that, that, that is progress. That's growth. That, that person is a shift maker. They're evolving that locker room. And that's my whole thing is you know, people being shift makers and and my work transcends LGBTQ plus. It's it's for anyone that doesn't feel comfortable or welcomed or conformed to the norm of that locker room space. I think the conformity within the culture is the same. I think the language has slightly evolved, but the same hypermasculine macho norms exist. I think there's a little less homophobic language, but it it, it still exists in pretty heavy numbers. I mean. You only have to look at Hockey Canada issued a report in 2022 detailing um, all the penalties for slurs that were used on the ice. And the group that was targeted the most or the most slurs used towards was the LGBTQ plus community. Right. They're still using it. and And there's this weird disconnect where I find people go, when I say the B word, I'm not referring to a woman. I'm just calling a player that, or if I say something homophobic, well, I know he's not gay, or she's not gay, so, you know, I I don't mean it to be offensive to the community. And it's like, well, you don't know how people identify. Mm -hmm. When I was that age, I was straight womanizing hockey bro. And now I'm the gay guy talking about being gay.
0: The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story. In-depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Find your frequency.
0: In terms of making that shift, when you walk into a dressing room or a meeting room uh, with a minor hockey team, how do you start and how do you engage with them? And what do you try to talk to them about?
1: The first thing I I do is, and again, my my whole thing is, yes, um, there's going to be talk about LGBTQ+, because I'm gay and I'm sharing my story to humanize impact of language, behaviors, attitudes, and how it made me feel and impacted Me, my career, et cetera, and how I didn't like going into the locker room. But ultimately, the same messaging I deliver can be for uh, the kid who can't conform to the culture, could be for a woman in a man's space, could be for a person of color. Like it's about welcoming people and creating environments that are welcoming to everybody and standing up and shifting the culture around you. But Obviously, I use my lived experience to get messaging across. So I start off by typically asking who knows somebody who identifies part of the LGBTQ plus community. And typically it's at least 90% of the room. And then I follow that with who hears used homophobic language. And usually about 10% of the room puts their hand up and they all look at each other a little panicked. And then I put my hand up Hmm. and I go, there's no judgment here. We're here to talk. We're here to evolve. We're here to grow. And then every hand goes up. From there, I share my story and the impact the language had on me. And then I talk about how we can evolve that and how I think, in especially in Canadian culture, hockey has such a massive influence in every community, every city across the country. And the players dictate society in a sense. I mean, the way they talk, the way they act, the way they dress is then copied by younger players. If they get to higher levels of AAA, hockey, or into junior, et cetera, they are treated the same way in these communities as NHL players are. Right. Except they're accessible. So I think they have sometimes even more influence than NHL players once they reach junior. So, so talking to them prior is critical so that when they get there, they're, they're part of the shift. And big or small those things we do have impact and they have a ripple effect. I share a story. Um, when I retired from playing, I started working with athletes in Sudbury, Ontario, and I him with about a hundred hockey players a day, and I was hiding my sexuality in the sport, and I was out in my private life. What I didn't realize is that all my athletes knew. And I was afraid to tell them just because Northern Ontario, lack of exposure to the LGBTQ plus community, I thought parents wouldn't want their kids to work with me. And, When I found out that they knew, I started to recognize um, or try and recognize that when they used language, like what they would do. I observed them. I studied them, kind of like animals in the wild, hockey players in their natural habitat. And it was like a little sociology experiment. I started to notice that anytime they'd say something homophobic, they'd freeze up and apologize to me. Hmm. I always tried to curb racist, sexist, homophobic, ableist language with my athletes. And after a while, I started thinking, cool, maybe we're creating a shift here and hockey world's very insular and we have this little bubble within that bubble and maybe we're creating a shift and I thought, or maybe they just apologize to me because they like me and I'm a masculine presenting guy and I go on the ice with them and I, you know, warm up before training with basketball and chirp them when I beat them and I'll bench press them and they just like me. And then they go to school or the rink and they're using slurs. And genuinely, I had no idea until one day I wasn't there and I had a sprint coach working with some athletes on a track. And at the end of a two-hour workout, he told them they had 10 more 200-meter sprints. And a younger player said, uh, and this kid comes from a super progressive family, he goes, this is so gay. Right. And one of the older players who's already playing major junior and about to embark on a career and more immersed in the culture looked at the the 15-year-old and said, we don't say that here. Give me 50 push-ups. And... That became something my athletes adopted amongst themselves and, and a pact that they held amongst themselves to hold each other accountable and themselves accountable. Anytime somebody would say something homophobic, they would drop down and do push-ups. And because they are influencers, like I said, they took it to their friends at school. They took it to their peers on their teams. They took it with them everywhere they went. Before I knew it, people I didn't even know were doing push-ups. The younger player, one of his teammates, one night was on FaceTime with his girlfriend. And She said, let's hang out. And he said, no, I can't have practice. And she said, that's so gay. You never want to hang out with me. And he said to her, give me 50 push-ups or we're breaking up. And they both dropped down on FaceTime and did 50 push-ups. And it was in that moment that I realized that we could truly shift this culture and evolve it so that everyone feels good in it. Whether it's humanizing issues, which is what I try and do. And it's why I ask them, who knows somebody's LGBTQ plus? Because I want them to think of that person when I share my story and impact. And also breaking down barriers of conformity. We conform in our cultures. Hockey, I can pick out a hockey player anywhere. Yeah. Dress the same, talk the same, walk the same. Every every hockey interview is identical. Yep. But when we break that down, so part of it is now I ask them, okay, tell me something you would typically tell a teammate you enjoy. Because what we typically talk about in that locker room is women, video games, partying, and sports. So let's share. And then when we do, and we recognize, I've had, NHL players tell me they love drawing?
0: I think that's something most people would not assume
1: about NHL players.
0: I mean, obviously, there are tons of them who love all sorts of different things. But like, if you asked an average hockey fan, uh, what does your favorite player
1: love doing? You know what I mean? And I had a tough guy in Major Junior stand up in front of his whole team and tells, tells them that he writes poetry almost every day. You know, and it's like, we, we are multifaceted beings. And we should embrace more of that, because the more we do, the less likely we're going to be to judge others who are different than us. Do you see guys that you've talked to, that you've
0: seen in major junior or wherever, who are now in NHL locker rooms, hopefully doing the same stuff?
1: I had a player, I don't know if I should say his name or not, but he is a pretty high-profile young player. And when I spoke to his major junior team, he said, thank you for this, and taking it to the NHL with me. And I still engage with him. We still chat every once in a while. And he has taken it there. I've had players come to me who are playing pro or playing youth sport and go, you know, I still think about what you said. And we can create these shifts and they don't want to hurt people. This may be naive, but I tend to believe that most people are good. We might not always do good things, but most people are good. and. I think people want to be good. And if they know that they're hurting people, they don't necessarily want to do that. So let's give them solutions. What about
0: players uh, who you've spoken to? And obviously, um, you won't mention names here, who who reach out to you afterwards and say, hey, you know, I'm, uh, I'm gay. And this is what it's like in this locker room. And thank you for talking uh, to the team. Or, you know, uh, I'm really struggling on this team. Or actually, this team is great.
1: I've had... All the above. I've had players come to me who were really struggling. I, I, what do you tell them when you've been through it? Depends on the level of struggle. You know what I mean? Like I, I try and poke and prod and, and let them open up. A lot of it is like they're unloading on me because it's been bottled up inside and they're struggling. So then once we get through that, it's how are they feeling? How are they handling this? Are they self harming? Are they not sleeping? Are they seeing a change in their behaviors, their, their play, their, their, if they're younger, their schooling, etc.? I had one kid come to me that was really struggling. This one example just sticks out in my mind at the moment, 16 years old, supposed to be a pretty elite AAA hockey player and an excellent student and went from that to just putting his name on tests. Putting his head down, went from elite AAA player to struggling to get playing time and was self harming. And we talked. And when I got all the information, I said, Are you comfortable if I talk to your parents? And he said, Yeah. And I ended up on a three hour phone call with mom and dad. And we initially chatted about, you know, some stuff. And they were semi inclusive, supportive, but also like, small town, maybe having a bit of a tough time with it. So I drove there and I sat down, I went for lunch with dad and we had candid conversations. And ultimately what it came down to was, do you want your child to be harming themselves and hurting and struggling, or do you want them to be happy? And they wanted their kid to be happy. And I think most people do. So at that point, it's like, okay, let's find the right resources in your area for your child and and let's get them feeling good. Hockey ended, but was able to go to school and finish school. Went to college or university, I can't remember which. And is living uh, a healthier life. And these stories exist across our country, and not just in sport. I mean, I get high school kids coming to me. I I get, you know, adults coming to me and it, it's it's a pretty regular occurrence. Very last thing. What would you say
0: to a hockey parent uh, who's listening to this right now? What's one uh, thing they can take away to uh, help themselves help their kid be a shift maker?
1: Have accountability for your own actions and behaviors and language. Everyone knows somebody who's part of uh, marginalized groups. If you're putting uh, kids down or buddies down or whatever, or, or in front of your kids and they're hearing homophobic, sexist, racist language, et cetera, uh, they're going to be more prone to using it. If you're putting this, and then if you start putting them down, using it, they're, they're going to lash out, but hold them accountable too. be intolerant of it. Talk to them about impact, humanize it, that person in their life, then the environment you create. You know, if you're creating a welcoming, supportive environment that allows your child to be themselves and you celebrate that. Regardless, this isn't just LGBTQ plus. This can be your your child loves science and you're like, I want you to be a jock. <laughs> just create an environment where they feel safe and supported and welcomed and and you celebrate them if they are standing up and they are shift makers and break those barriers of conformity. And then Teach them to accept themselves regardless of who they are because only you can accept you. Acceptance from others creates hierarchy and I don't believe in it. And then celebrate them and allow them to love themselves and, and love them unconditionally. And then when they learn to accept and love themselves regardless of who they are, they're going to be happier. And ultimately, when whenever I hear people talk about having children or they have children, what they say they want is their child to be happy. Don't be the cause of their unhappiness.
0: Brock, thank you as always for this. Um, thanks for all the work that you do and good luck
1: on the tour. Thank you. It should be fun. I can't wait to not sleep for three months. But ultimately, it's, it's going to be a uh, life-changing experience and I, I'm really excited for it. Brock McGillis
0: heading out on the Culture Shift Tour. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca, search Brock's name to hear our previous interview with him. And you can, of course, find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can write to us, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can phone us and leave a voicemail. That number is 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.